This morning we're continuing in our series in Philippians called All In. All In. Now, if you turn to the book of Philippians, you'll only be there for a moment because we're not actually going to be in Philippians today until the very, very end of the sermon. The reason is we have several things that we are going to be participating in as a church body, and it affords me the opportunity to speak and to equip you in these key areas. And so while we're going to stay focused on all in, we're going to kind of deviate a little bit into a, a specific message today, and we're going to have some question and answer time um, just to be able to find out what are your questions uh, pertaining to baptism in the Lord's table and uh, the return of the Lord. We're going to do all that in about a half hour. Uh, you know, that should be easy. Um, it's a Christmas miracle. So this morning, the title of the sermon is All In Engaging with Christ. And you may want to take out your notes today. They're blank. They're there for you to fill in information as you have questions. So As we look at the idea of being all in, last week we were in the prolific passage of Philippians 2 where what we see out of Christ is this idea that He was all in. Right? That, that He humbled Himself. Paul says unity within the body is so crucial and in order to strive and attain that unity, there has to be a sacrifice of self. You have to attain towards those around you. He says it also in the book of Ephesians, where he says, submit to one another. And so when he gets done with the instruction, with the imperatives, Paul says, if you're having a problem understanding what this looks like, let me give you an example. It's called being all in, and the one that you need to look to is Jesus Christ. So let's look to Jesus Christ, and this is that famous passage where it says, Jesus, being fully God, did not grasp equality with God, something that he should hold on to, right? But instead, he took the form of a servant, set aside his godliness to a certain level, to a certain degree, and went ahead and, and took on the form of the servant, endured the cross, did all of that, in order what? In order that we might be saved. And the beauty of that passage is that God says that He exalts Jesus at the end. That every name will what? Will confess Jesus. That every knee should what? Bow. And so we see this prolific passage about Jesus being what? All. So I will just let you know, folks, we worked on this for two hours and never got a pop. So something's going on. One of you have something on you. You are bugged by the Russians, China, I don't know who it is. Probably Satan. But we're going to go manual again. So just so you know, we are working on it. But something weird is going, in, going on here on Sunday mornings. So I guess we're going to go Puritan style. Again. Do I need to hold a microphone or can we, can we do room mics? It'll be better. 
The wig could pick, pick you up on the room mic. Okay. I use my hands a lot, so. So as we move forward to the, the, the understanding this morning about being all in, let's shift gears. Let's talk about how can we be all in. How can we be all in? Has that permeated your thinking throughout the week, throughout the months, in your life with Christ? Has that permeated your thinking? We talked a little bit about this last week and found some great compliments about how you perceive our church is striving to be all in. This morning I'm going to give you specifics that Christ himself gave to the church that we might demonstrate that we are all in. There is one of our value statements up above that's key to what we're talking about today. It's the idea of engaging. Someone who engages is all in. And that idea of engaging kind of took me to this, this illustration in my mind. Engage, and I don't know that I've ever thought about it this way, but engage what? Engagement. Right? How many of you remember the moment that you proposed? Right? How did you do it? Oh, so some some of the people are getting passed. You know, great job, honey. And some people are moving away from each other in the room. Um, there's a lot of tension. It's a dangerous subject. But it is interesting when we talk about engage, we think of it, at least I think of it in these terms. But the world, our culture, our, our society has attached the very essence of all that that means with a marriage proposal. It means not only do you have an engagement, an appointment, a future calling, a purpose that you're moving towards, it means that you are engaged. You have an engagement, which is a ceremonial one-time moment, but when you have said yes, when you have been given that ring, ladies, and you have said yes, you are now what? You are engaged. Have you ever thought about it outside in terms of, oh, yay, my dreams have come alive. I get to have the wedding. I don't know why I'm talking like this. Right? But think about what that actually means. You and he are engaged. That means that you are actively pursuing marriage, not passively. And anybody who's gone through the <coughs> wonderful blessing of wedding planning, you know what engaged means, right? So this morning, we're going to kind of use that idea of the, uh, the engagement ring or the rings to move forward with what we're looking at today in baptism, the Lord's table, and in the return of Christ. Which, all that might sound a little odd, but let me tell you why we're going to engage on this level. Because you are being served opportunity on November 3rd at our big fall festival. We are having a baptism. 
And so if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you name him as Lord and Savior, but you have not followed through with baptism, it's like moving forward in marriage, but you won't wear the ring. Think about that. And then let me put some clarification to it coming up. Also, the idea that, that I know the Lord, I have a relationship with him, or maybe I don't have a relationship with him, and I come forward today to participate in the Lord's table, it's like sneaking into a marriage when you have not done the work. When there has been no commitment to that marriage. Any of you married folk just going to let somebody else kind of work it? We are, we're in San Francisco. I shouldn't ask that question, but I trust you. Hopefully, it, it, it's a two-person commitment, and it's the two people that stood across from each other exchanging committed vows and engaging with one another. And those commitments are between those two individuals and not some interloper that just wants to come in and enjoy the, the, the beauty of what you two have worked hard That would be tantamount to coming forward and participating at the Lord's table today, but not knowing Jesus Christ. It makes no sense. So we're going to clear up some questions today. Here's, uh, uh, this is the idea, the key idea that we're working out of with you all. And complete my joy being of the same mind, having the same love being in full accord and of one mind. Unity, 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 all in. Not just a portion of the people in, not just a portion of the Trinity involved, all in. This was the prayer of Christ. And you're gonna hear this emphasized a lot today as we are gonna be referencing the Evangelical Free Church of America doctrinal statement. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, this is Conquer Bible Church. You're, you're absolutely correct. But we are part of a denomination and a unique denomination that they take the, the structure of authority and, and a pyramid usually goes like this, right? You understand the structure of authority within a corporation is usually top down. With the Evangelical Free Church of America, they take the pyramid, sorry Egyptians, and they, and they flip it upside down. And the local church is the one that has the authority and the autonomy. The national office, district offices, they are there to serve the local churches. The only thing that the EFCA requires is that those churches who identify with the EFCA sign off on their doctrinal statement. Our membership class people are going through that right now, and we're excited about all that. You're going to meet them. Our last class is today. You're going to meet them coming up at the end of the month on the 27th. So we're excited about that. So let's get into it. What does it mean to be all in by engaging? Engage, this is kind of a definition I put to it. The importance of our ability to foster an opportunity to demonstrate our love and dedication to Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of different ways we can engage our faith and practice that according to Christ. Here's why we're going to focus on these three things today. Because Jesus Commanded. Have you ever asked somebody something and you do it in what's called the passive tone? Right? So every once in a while I, I might say to um, someone in my household, 
Hey, um, does anybody know if our crazy dog Max has been walked recently? What am I really saying? Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, you're that from best bro. <laughs> right, but that's what you call the passive tone. The imperative tone is as I'm going out the door and I know I'm not coming back for 12 hours, I kind of yell into the general ether of, of my house, of my domicile, hey, make sure you walk the dog today. Those are two different tones, right? So the reason we're focusing on baptism and the Lord's table is because the latter tone I gave you was the tone of Jesus Christ on how we can be fully engaged and all in in relationship with him. Very unique things. Very unique things that, that the Lord gives to us to demonstrate and him saying, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. And so as we look at this idea of engaging, here's how the doctrinal of the ordinances stated, and I think I've got it coming up. How can we show that we're all in? Let's engage. Baptism, Lord's table, preparing for the return of the king. Thought I'd, thought I'd throw in some Lord of the Rings things for you nerds out there. <laughs> all right, so the EFCA statement on the ordinances, it's up above, and I'll just read it off my notes. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances, and this is very important, confirm and nourish the believer. This is very important in retrospect to the order of how those words are even put down. And, and we'll get into that in a minute. So, let's start with the idea of believer's baptism. Here's a, here's a moment, and, and I, I only have 30 seconds for Q&A, so you better have your baptism questions ready to go. This is the signal. It's a physical signal that, that I am submitting to you now by sitting down, and this is where you get to engage and be all in. What are your questions about? There's no bad, no, that is just the worst statement ever. There's a lot of bad questions. Make sure it's a good one. All right? Uh, what are your questions on baptism? And it may not be even your question, but John, go. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Do you have to be baptized to be saved? The answer is? No. No. That's pretty unified, John. So let me, let me, so we're all free. We don't have to go in front of a bunch of people and get it all wet. What was the purpose? I'm saved. I'm in. Let's go. Right? So one of the reasons, yes, John, why would you not? That's a, that's a really good question. The reality of that question is very simply answered real quick, two ways. Jesus was what? Did he need saving? Okay, so now we just broke the mold in a very weird way, and I don't have time to get into all the reasons why. But that just right there fragments that whole argument. Makes you have to re-examine it. But secondly, now let's take it from our perspective. There are individuals hanging on crosses, suffering next to Jesus. And one of them, Jesus says, today you will what? You will be dumped in the mikvahs just to our left. And then you will be in paradise with me. Is that what he said? No, he said, because of your faith, that's implied. Because of your faith, you will be with me in paradise. Had no chance to be baptized. 
Alright, so those two things, along with a myriad of scripture, right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and we'll get to it in a, in a little bit. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you are saved by faith. Romans, you are justified by your faith. Now Peter says, and it's coming up here, actually, it's right there, Acts 2, 38. What comes first? Order is very important. Timing is very important with both of these issues today. All three of these issues we're looking at on engaging and being all in. I said so much there, I forgot what I was actually asking. What comes first? What comes first? Repentance and then baptism. Repentance, actually, I actually don't know where it was, but I just wanted to, I want to make sure you're tracking. Yes? It says, uh, repent, be baptized. That's a great question, Mike. He says, if you if you uh, repent but you're not baptized, do you still receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Is that your question? So, if you remember, Philip goes to where? Right after the day of Pentecost, Philip, one of the um, band of merry men, uh, the Lord's service, goes to Samaria. And people start repenting based off of this preaching, and they're receiving what? The Holy Spirit. There's no, we don't have specifics about baptism happening in that moment. And there's other moments where people are, are baptized, and the order is a little bit different here and there. Cornelius and, and the Philippian jailer. And, and so Peter says, what about Cornelius? Peter says, how can I refuse baptism to these people? Because why? They have the Holy Spirit. So, th does that answer your question? Yes. Very good question. On whose authority does one baptize another? Jesus <laughs> Was that was that what we call an uncomfortable moment? You know why? Because I was what? Thank you, but the word I'm looking for is silent. Right? Here's, here's my metaphorical answer to that. The scriptures are silent on that subject. Okay? So, understand that. We're about scripture first. Lyndon is going to break his elbow trying to get my attention. Hang on just a second. Um, the scriptures are silent on that subject. We see John the Baptist as a prophet baptizing, right? We see that the apostles baptize. Uh, Jesus, did Jesus ever baptize anybody? We don't have any records of, of that necessarily happening that I remember. That might be somewhere in there, but I, I don't remember that happening, right? And if anybody was qualified to baptize, it would have been Jesus, you would think. So I don't see any imperatives in Scripture that say who's qualified to baptize another person. The fact is we are baptized. The interaction is between us and the Lord. There is simply a facilitator there that helps go through the ceremony of that linen. Well, yeah, I don't think the Scripture is silent on that because you've got one right up there. You baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The authority is Jesus Christ. That is who. I absolutely agree. I'm not sure that Victor was going down that road. 
yes, the Father and the Holy Spirit are there, so we could, in essence, just have people get into the tank and dunk themselves. <laughs> but I think that would come across a little odd. Is that kind of where you were going? Is Who's supposed to be the one that's facilitating the whole thing? Is that what you're saying? But yes, Lyndon, that's where we were going. Authority isn't necessarily the facilitator. It is not. Absolutely. The authority has nothing to do with the facilitator. So there are churches that have parents baptize their children. Um, I would say there's wisdom and discernment in how you go about that. Um, and uh, you would want someone that has, is a spiritual mentor to you or that you have some spiritual uh, appreciation or honor for to be part of that process. Uh, another question. That's a great question. I know that there are others in the room that have that question. So one of the one of the differences in baptism within churches is that they have what is called, and you'll see it up here in a little bit. I think I, I put it up here. Uh, uh, there's what's called credo baptism, and then there's pedeo baptism. Pedeo baptism is the idea, and it's not just select to the Catholic Church. But it goes into Presbyterian churches, Lutheran churches, where the Catholic Church says there's salvific properties or ramifications that when that child is christened, they are christened into the kingdom. All right? Then there is no decision, there's no accountability, there's no free moral agent decision by the individual to follow Christ. We do not believe, nor did the Reformers believe, that that's what Scripture teaches. Um, the church was guilty of that during the Middle Ages, right? I've talked about this in the past. Let's go, soldiers. Line it up. We're just going to run you through and run you through and run you through. What we see in, in this passage, especially Acts 2.38, is Peter says to what? Says to the crowds, repent. Not just believe, not just have faith, but that faith brings about an understanding of your need for salvation. That is the true essence of what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. So we hold to what is called believer baptism, which is classically taught in theology circles or the Aramaic. Um, credo, right? So does that answer your question? Now, there's another problem that came out of the Reformation, which was how many times should you be baptized? So Zwingli, one of the early reformers, refused to baptize anybody ever again because there was still a latching on to some of that teaching from the Catholic Church. He couldn't let go of it, but other reformers said, no, that, that's just, that's not correct because we're going to hold to a believer's baptism. So follow the logic with me. If I'm baptized as a child unknowingly, was it a decision to symbolically represent myself as that who follows Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, sola scriptura, my own focus, my own faith, accountability as a freestanding moral agent, or was it an act by my parents to simply have them state, we, we want our child to go to heaven? Okay, so the transference in this idea is that, and what the reformers struggled with is, 
Well, where is faith? Which is sola fide. By faith alone we are justified. So you never see in the order, be baptized and then repent. You'll never see that in Scripture. So the logical thought process here is that you come to faith first through Jesus Christ, realizing your need for Christ as a sinner. The conviction comes upon you. You repent. And then the natural participation, engagement, all in action is our statement of dedication to the Lord publicly through baptism. So if I have an individual come to me and ask that question, well, I was baptized as a child. Let me clarify one more thing. There are those churches that say that that act of christening is, has salvation ramifications. You heard that, right? There are others that practice this. The Presbyterian Church, Covenant Churches, Protestant Churches practice Padeo baptism as a significance of dedication of the child. Where we have infant dedication, they will use that as a symbolic statement of dedication. We just choose not to practice that way here. We don't want to confuse. It's really not part of our tradition. But believe it or not, and you'll see it in the free church statement, the free church majors on the majors, it minors on the minors. And so therefore, it would allow any of the local churches, if they wanted to practice infant baptism, not for salvation, but for dedication, that's up to each local church. Does that make sense? Long answer. I need to get some oxygen. So yes, your question. I know, well, it's not a question. It's Romans chapter 6. Yes. Which represents what it, why, we, why we want to be immersed. Immersed, yeah. Yes, I'm getting to that. Would you like Would you like to say it now, or do you want to? Read it. Go ahead. This is the amplified. Yes. Okay. So you want me to stand to read it, or if you want to stand, feel free. Can you hear me, everybody? Yeah. Yes. Okay. The question, uh, verse three: Are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we <coughs> habitually live and believe and behave in the newness of our life. So Amen. Amen. And raised his newness of life. Amen. Thank you. And, and so I'll circle up to that in, in just a moment, but that, that's helpful and that's definitely part of, of what we're focusing on with what baptism is and the symbolism of baptism, the reason that we engage in this process, why do we do immersion? Let me, let me ask this question of you. How young is too young? Right? If I have a five-year-old that can articulate what it means to trust in Jesus, do we believe that that five-year-old truly has a saving faith? So why do churches traditionally not baptize children usually under the age of 12 is, is one, of the, one of the traditions. It's not ours necessarily, but it's out there. Why would that be the case? They believe that until you reach that age, you're not, it's not the age of accountability. Right. 
So that is a movement. That is, and so what happens with these movements or these these dogmas that come up and become part of the tradition of the church is y'all keep asking these questions that the scripture is silent on, and we feel compelled. We've got to say something to defend it. Right? So we kind of make something up and because you're asking for it, and I gotta give it to you. Here is my rule here. If you can swim in that thing, we're not baptizing you. Okay? If you can swim in it, probably not old enough as of yet to really be able to be baptized. Um, you, you understand, if you're visiting today, I have a sarcastic sense of humor. Um, here is my definitive answer. You need to pray about it. You need to pray about it. Do you know that in the history of the church early on, in, in the catacombs under the suffering of, of Trajan and Nero, that they were baptizing the children? That's where Padeo baptism started, because they didn't know what would happen. They didn't know what would happen the next day. But, but my encouragement to you is this. We practice believer baptism here. And so I was asked this question, how, and it's even related to the Lord's table. How young is too young? And so some churches just don't like being ambiguous. Here is, here is the direction I'm going to give you. You are freestanding moral agents before the Lord. You have a Bible. You can read. You can call me. You can ask me. Ultimately, this decision is between you and the Lord. The scripture is silent on how young. Okay? The scripture is also silent on how old. Right? Now, you can keep going with this stuff. Some people really love their animals. Can we baptize, you know, our parrot? No, I'm not baptizing your parrot. Okay? I had an individual want to get baptized. Now, here's a real, a real thing. Take people over to Israel, and I have people that say, will you baptize me in the Jordan River? I am willing to baptize people in the Jordan River if they do not know the Lord, or they know the Lord and they have not yet been baptized. But I will not baptize a person who has gone through baptism already as a believer. There's no need. This isn't something like redoing our, our wedding vows to kind of reinvigorate. That's not what baptism is about. Right? The ring is the ring is the ring. And I know some of you out there, like some of you ladies, yeah, but my ring needs upgrading. <laughs> That's between you and your husband, okay? You don't upgrade your baptism. Okay? And when you keep doing baptism, because some people go through this process of, yeah, but I've wandered from the Lord. I've struggled with the with the Lord. I want to renew that. That is not what baptism does. Hear me clearly. That is not what baptism does. That's what repentance and confession does. Amen. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. Just get back and get right with him. Alright? Use your baptism as a pivot point of declaring when Satan wants to convince you you are not saved. When Satan wants to tempt you. When the world wants to tempt you and confuse you. Go back to that baptism point and say at that point I declare I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Now there are moments where I'm fully engaged in my marriage. There are others where I am not. <laughs> Silence is, is the theme of the day. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm not what? Married. Okay. Clear on these questions. 
I am now extending this into a three-part series. <laughs> because I told you I had 30 seconds for questions, so we went in 30 minutes. So Matthew 28:19. here's the edict, right? I told you passive voice, commanding voice. Go, not hate, consider, right? It's go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, would it not stand to reason someone could look at that passage and say, there it is, boom. Sorry, I'm taking way too much lately. Just tap my junior eye self right there. The one that's laughing hardest is my daughter. I'll never, uh, it's a good thing I'm not on a microphone. Would it not, would it not stand to reason? Is somebody could look at that passage and say, there it is. It just says baptized. I don't see the word repentance. Can you see how somebody would arrive at that? Let me help you. This is why you need scholars, not necessarily me, but scholars, biblical scholars and good teaching to help you work through this. What does this say before there? It starts with a D. Disciple. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ unless you have what? Repented and made a statement of faith and you are now locked in. So it's there. Right? Peter sets the pattern. So number one, it's an ordinance of the church. It's a demonstration of what? Our authentic faith and it's a symbol of sanctification. Let's go to the next one. 1 Peter 3.21. This is controversy. Does baptism save our souls? We have that question. This verse is why there's confusion. 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism, which corresponds, that's a key word, to this, now what? Saves you. Boy, it doesn't get any more blatant than that. That is explicit. Can you see why the church, based off of what Peter said, started to invoke this doctrine? It is problematic. Because if you do a proper, what we call, hermeneutic interpretation of Scripture, you have to consider all of the Scripture. First of all, Jesus was what? Baptized. Did Jesus need saving? We've got an instant problem now. So that cannot mean how we read it in the English. Okay, so there's part of your hermeneutical spiral in the circles of context and blah, blah, blather, blather, theology, 405. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, one of the reasons we know that that verse is insane, baptism saves you, is look at the other verse. And it's just one of many throughout the New Testament that describes what it means to be a believer, what saves us, what justifies us before God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And down into the river you go, and in the baptism waters, and there's a choir with white robes off to the side, and there's a legitimate person with all authority baptizing you like this. Right? It doesn't say any of that. That's where we add all this other stuff. So, baptism, it doesn't save our souls. So what does it do? Does baptism wash away our sins? No. What washes our sin away? The blood of Jesus. Read the book of Hebrews, and we don't need to discuss this anymore, but I'm just going to give you these two examples. Why is that doctrine a 
shouldn't say doctrine. I consider it dogma. Says what? And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Seems pretty explicit. The Bible is not silent on this, right? This is why we have these questions. But this is where we look and we say this verse is a one-off. And often, Scripture is taught through allegory, simile, metaphor. And when you have a preponderance of Scripture that says that our sins are washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ. And go back to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? It says, not by any works that you or I can do, if I don't get baptized, to wash away my sins, what am I doing? It's on me. It's on me. And that is an anathema to what Jesus... Then Jesus doesn't need to hang on the cross, does he? It's the waste of the work, the salvific and beautiful and glorious work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, you see, in, in answer to that query, Father Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he rose and was baptized. When was Saul saved? When he was baptized? He was saved, you know, a few days prior out on Damascus Road when he met Jesus. And so what followed that? What followed it was the baptism. The healing ended in the baptism. The healing was the confirmation of God being with them. So we've already talked about why baptize a baby. This is kind of how we got there. If you want that information, I can give it to you. Uh, uh, who should be baptized for? In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Here's that concept again of unity. Now, is it talking about baptism as we think about the baptism waters? No. No. And there's a reason why I chose that verse. Who should be baptized? Symbol of baptism. How long should one wait? All these questions. We've already talked about some of them, but let me clarify that first Corinthians. The word baptized in the Greek, not the not Jeremy Caravan, but like literally the Greek. You can trust me on this one. It, it's baptizo. Alright? So we get the alliteration in, in English. But it simply means to immerse. It is truly the idea of taking a dish and putting it all the way under the water. Alright? That's it. And it's used in that context. So we use that idea of going all, all, all in. See that? Isn't that fantastic how we tied that in? All the way in as a symbol of our dedication, proclamation of our faith in Jesus Christ to those around us. Alright? So the word baptize or baptizo is used in that sense of immersion. So it doesn't always apply to baptism waters when we see scripture. You can be baptized in the what? You're baptized in the spirit. And that's kind of what this is talking about. Everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now the spirit is working within all of the church to bring about the kingdom. Right. Here's our Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. When you're buried, do you go like that? When you're buried, now it doesn't say cremated. Let's just stay specific. When you're buried, 
you're going down. You're going horizontal and you're under the you're under the earth. Right? When you're buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Now when we do that, are we typically do they allow you to have one hand out? Right? You might see that for Halloween, some props. But last time I checked, state of California, everybody's buried. The entire body has to be buried. Okay? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is using metaphor. He's using illustration to help us understand. What does he say in Galatians? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. And the more that we see ourselves identifying that manner of giving up ourselves, but no longer being susceptible to sin and death because of his resurrection, we will rise as well. There's a beauty in that, that symbolism at our baptism. Amen. Okay? All right. I'm done. But I have these great stories about rings, too. But you all just ate up my time. So let me, we're going to talk about Lord's Table next week. Uh, that, that, that's all great stuff. So make sure, you know, you come back. It's all great stuff. Uh, this will actually work really well towards the end of the month. Uh, we're going to have a business meeting, and we'll be sharing with you that the free church has changed Article 9. Another reason I decided to speak on this. Article 9 Keep hearing from me, we major on the majors, we minor on the minors. And a major is our statement of faith, these articles. And yet the church is voted this past June by, by 80% to change one word in Article 9. And so I want to let you know the elders have affirmed that. We believe that the language is good. And it really does, in fact, keep with the spirit of major on the majors. So I'm prefacing you, so you're like, what? And that, we call a hook, so you'll come back. Think about these rings. The statement that a wedding ring makes. You know, I, I would still be 190 pounds, but I know somebody that lost their wedding ring, and then I didn't want to lose mine, so I had to keep eating until my fingers pulled <laughs> <laughs> my ring will not come off. So it's not my preference is my dedication to not losing my ring. Wedding rings are important symbols. Why do we, in general, wear them? They communicate. They communicate. And by the way, they mostly communicate to others. Let me ask you how important these symbols are, because our society kind of wants to attack this as well. What happens when all of a sudden you notice, how come you're not wearing your wedding Do you just ask arbitrarily, like, did you leave your keys? <laughs> Did you feed the dog? Did you walk the dog? You know. No, there's usually a little, there's something there waiting 
need a minute. Do I need to be uncertain? Do I? Am I supposed to be nervous? What's going on here? And if you don't think I'm, I'm being truthful, somebody take off their wedding ring this week and see what happens. No, don't. That's again, again, the sarcasm. So that was the ring I was thinking about getting for Janine. <laughs>
walk with us in this effort to engage and be all in for you. And let us consider not ambiguity and service through ambiguity, but let us start with the very things that you asked us to do in obedience. Thank you, Father. To you be all